The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you for being with us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Uh, it's been kind of a tough week in racing uh, for uh, a lot of us. Uh, first, let me set the stage for this evening's show. Our uh, first guest will be uh, Dr. John Piewitz, uh, equine veterinarian from the Ohio State University. Uh, John has been connected with uh, some fantastic horsemen. He has an unparalleled reputation as a caring and compassionate physician. Uh, he's been involved with at least 10 Kentucky Derby winning trainers and countless Breeders' Cup winning trainers. And uh, he's going to give us some insight into one of the stars we're not going to see on Breeders' Cup Day, and that is Wise Dan. You've probably heard the news. He's going to tell us a little bit more about the injury and about the probabilities, hopefully, for comeback from that injury. He has uh, treated horses for uh, Chuck Lepresti over the years. Uh, then our second guest, uh, he's uh, been everywhere and everything from the uh, editor of the Reader's Digest, the world's largest circulation magazine, uh, to the head of communications for Naira and the NTRA. Now works for the Daily Racing Forum, and that'll be Eric Wing. I had the pleasure of spending uh, Saturday afternoon uh, with Eric uh, going over the, the series races at Belterra Park and uh, Eric actually live on camera pulled down the winner of the endurance at the time the horse was 40 to 1. And there's uh, several uh, kind of state programs going on this weekend. Uh, we've got the Maryland Millions, and then we've got all of the West Virginia uh, classic races going on. So uh, since he uh, did so well with the Buckeye Breads, we're going to see how well he does moving to other states. Well, the uh, worst news we could give you, we'll start with, and that's Jackie Juan Sayez, who was only 17 years old, uh, died from head trauma uh, earlier this week at Indiana Grand Racing and Casino. Uh, from all reports, he, he clipped heels and went down. Uh, he did do the the great jockey tuck that uh, that he was trained to do and uh but I do believe that it was the, the a passing horse uh that may have uh caused the worst damage to him uh from all reports both from the jockeys guild the track and writer Jenny Reese uh everything was followed to the T they got him out of there as soon as possible uh, but his injuries and the trauma that he experienced uh, was uh, was just too much. Now, uh, w- w- I mean, what a rising star. 17 years old, he wins his first meet uh, at, at Ellis Park. 
and he's the younger brother of a Sayez that I'm sure you've heard of, journeyman Louis Sayez, uh, who has become very popular over the last year. Uh, he uh, finished, again, as I say, as the leading rider at Ellis. He had 51 wins from 194 starts. And uh, uh, Juan graduated from the top of his class at the Lafitte Pintai Junior Jockey School in his na- native country, Panama, and came to the U.S. in June. His agent, very good rider in his own right, Julio Espinoza. And uh, everybody from Terry Meeks of the Jockeys Guild who just said there's no words to describe the devastation uh, we were all feeling. Uh, John Velasquez, who said that he was such a talented and sweet kid with a promising future. Uh, it just uh, was very, very tough on, on everybody. Now, uh, according to statistics provided by the Jockeys Guild, Sayez is the 153rd jockey to be killed in a race in North America since 1940, and he's the first since Jorge Herrera died in 2012 at the Alameda County Fair. Now, there are going to be donations set up if you are interested, and I'll see if we can't get them posted on our website. Um, first, there are, I believe there's going to be separate donations to help his family. There's a lot of expense involved in bringing his body back to Panama for burial. And uh, I do not believe he's from very rich roots there. And uh, after that, the family has uh, asked that uh, a uh, fund be set up for the Permanently Disabled Jockeys Fund. So, again, uh, we start out uh, with, with, with very sad news, and all of us from the Winning Ponies family uh, wish the best for uh, the family of Juan Sayez. Certainly only 17 years old. What a rising star. Well... A star we already know that has risen, Wise Dan. We're uh, talking about how great his uh, performance was in the Shadwell Turf Mile. But it looks like, sad to say, we're not going to get a chance to see him perform in the Breeders' Cup. The two-time Horse of the Year was found to have a little bit of heat, what Charlie Lepresti said. And he said he quickly decided to x-ray him to be sure everything was all right. And the x-rays identified a non-displaced, what they call half-moon-shaped fracture of the bottom of the cannon bone in the fetlock. And we'll go much more into detail and find out about this injury with uh, Dr. John Piewitz uh, later in the show. And, uh, you know, if you could see the look on, on Charlie and his wife's face when he came back from the shed, well... Uh, they were just elated and tearful and happy, and it would have just been so great to see him go on uh, to the Breeders' Cup, but uh, sad to say it's a tough decision, but uh, they're going to wait 30 days and assess his progress. He's seven years old now with 30 starts, so we'll see if they just can't uh, you know, bring him back. He's got earnings of over $7.5 million, so if for some reason he doesn't come back, he certainly earned his way, I believe, into Racing's Hall of Fame. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, some things more upbeat, and that's uh, horses that might be going into the Breeders' Cup. Uh, shared belief, they say, just had an excellent move in the Golden Gate as he is preparing for the Breeders' Cup Classic, where he's going to meet up with probably the top three-year-olds seem to be the biggest threats. Um, he uh, worked five furlongs in a minute and three-fifths over the Tapeta surface at Golden Gate Fields. 
and uh, they said that the work was just very, very good, exactly what they were looking for. He broke behind two workmates and just blew right by him. Uh, Russell Bays, who won't be riding him in the Classic, did uh, ride him that day and just said it was a really, really good work. So shared belief is on track and it looks like he's probably going to have uh, maybe two more works uh, before the uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Of course, shared beliefs owned by trainer Jerry Hollendorfer in partnership with the uh, racing stable that uh, Jungle Racing is the name, and it's Jim at Janet Rome, plus KM Racing, Kevin and Kim Nish, Jason Litt, George Tadero, and Alex Solis II, Candy Bruns, Kentucky-bred son of Candy Ride, uh, he's now already earned $1.5 million. Our uh, Jackie of the Week, Joel Rosario. Holy cow, what a week. He posted seven wins, six seconds, and a third from 22 starts for earnings of $469,000. Uh, kicked off his week with Rihanna de Batera and the Grade 3 Jessamine Stakes at Keeneland. Then on Friday, he won the $100,000 Buffalo Trace at Keeneland. And in the most dramatic finish of the week of those mounts, uh, he and front-running Latia held off the late challenge of Byrama and overheard to win the Grade 3 Athena Stakes at Belmont Park on Sunday. So Joel Rosario, kid that grew up on a farm outside Santa Domingo, decided to become a jockey when he was only 13 years old. By 2008, he was riding stakes for the leading trainers out in California. He's finished fifth in the national standings in 2009 with $13 million in earnings. And last year, he won the world's richest race, the Dubai World Cup on Animal Kingdom, and little old race called the Kentucky Derby on Orb. So he is Jockey of the Week. Uh, last week, we talked about the closing of Suffolk Downs. Now we have to talk about the clo- closing of Colonial Downs. It just looks like uh, owners and the Horsemen's Group uh, could not uh, come to an agreement. And uh, the, the commission said uh, that you've got to come up with a decision on what's going to happen, and they decided that they are not going to reapply for their license. Now, you know, in situations like this, anything can happen, and perhaps it can get worked out. I know that they say it's not going to affect their the, the jump meet that they have there. Um, track that will be running, though not as many dates as they wanted to, will be Kentucky Downs. Churchill and Kentucky Downs made a deal uh, on their upcoming September dates in 2015. Uh, Churchill's going to race 11 days instead of 12, uh, but Kentucky Downs still only racing five days. Get there if you can. Uh, let's uh, move on now to uh, some interesting news from the breeding shed. Uh, it looks like Revolutionary is going to be retired to Windstar Farm uh, for 7500 uh, which I think is a very fair uh, fee for a horse uh, of his talent. As a matter of fact, I recall I was touting him coming into the Kentucky Derby. He was trained by Todd Pletcher, broke his maiden by eight and a half, had huge numbers, and uh, went to the top of a lot of derby lists, uh, heading into the million-dollar Louisiana Derby. Uh, has great acceleration, and uh, he uh, retires with career record of five wins, Ten total on the board finishes, and I like this from five and a half furlongs to a mile and a quarter. That is huge. 
Also, strong mandate is going to stand at three chimneys. The only grade one winning and two-year-old colt by champion sire Tisnow is going to be moving to three chimneys farm, and uh, they really uh, couldn't be happy. Of course, he's going to be joining uh, champion will take charge. And Metropolitan winner Palace Malice, not sure if he's coming back next year. Uh, there's a good chance that he is going to race in uh, 2015. All right, let's move quickly on to some of the race results from last week. As you know, we zeroed into the state bread program in Ohio. In the John W. Galbraith, it was just a little smoke who's trained by Robert Gorham, who is both a vet and a trainer. So uh, he got the job done, and he was sent away at, at odds on. He beat Senorita Dominguez and the speedy heat transfer. After that, it was the two-year-old boys, and it was Mound putting in a huge run into the lane under young Megan Fadlovich and got the job done over Flip Daddy. Uh, Triple Strike was third. Date Demo was third. Very interesting uh, that there was a race on the day sponsored by Fairwinds Farm. Mound, Flip Daddy, and Dayton Demo, those three horses in this 10-horse field, were all raised in the same paddock up in Waynesville, Ohio. And then it was the sprint, and we were all over this one. Uh, the best of Ohio sprint, no doubt about it. A horse that may be considered horse of the year in the state. Rivers run deep, just shaded the track record over the horse that won the sprint last year, Dia Villetto. From there, we moved on to the... Uh, the girls' big race, the older girls, the best of Ohio distaff, and uh, Luch Racing Stable, Ron Paoluchi, who's been with us on Winning Ponies, had not one, not two, but three horses in there, but it only took caviar and champagne to get the job done by three lengths. Need more flattery, last year's horse of the year. What we said is the only thing that can beat her is the post position, and it did. It was post position at number 14. She broke to the outside in addition, and that pretty much cost her the race and then it the uh, horse that eric wing picked plain old willard got the job done when eric touted the horse it was 40 to one obviously people were listening went off at 16 to one and won by three and a half over last year's two-year-old champion plain old willard was the three-year-old champion in ohio and jack's fact was the two-year-old champion so obviously they've held their form very well finishing 1-2 in that race. And uh, if you bet a $2 exacta on the two champs, you collected $598,000. Well, we're going to be looking at some other state-bred programs uh, later uh, on the show. But right now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to the one and only Dr. John Piowitz. You're listening to Winning Ponies. school to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, Dr. John Piewitz. Now, on the resume I asked him to send, i got to think this is a little bit old because it starts out that for nearly 20 years he's been an equine veterinarian. And I think I, I got photos of him that go back a little bit more than 20 years that show him doing his work on the backstretch. But as I said, he is a graduate of the Ohio State University School of Veterinarian Medicine. Uh, he opened up a small business, Cincinnati Equine Limited Liability Company, and he's got a great reputation uh, locally uh, as a caring and compassionate that uh, physician, and like I said, he's uh, had connections with and has worked at different times with uh, a list of clients that include 10 Kentucky Derby winning trainers. So with that said, I won't read his whole resume. We've only got about 15 minutes to talk to him. John, how you doing? I'm doing fine tonight, John. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you because one thing you've always been able to do for me is uh, – when I've had questions about uh, horse horse injuries, you know, it, it, it's a whole other language for those of us that didn't go to the Ohio State University. Um, you you have a pretty good knack at at putting it into layman's terms, so we kind of understand what has happened. Um, earlier in the show, I, I told everybody that uh, what they what the X rays identified. Uh, on Wise Dan, who is a horse that's just been managed beautifully, and thank God he's still with us between the colic thing and obviously this, what I hope is a somewhat minor injury out of the Shadwell. Um, They say that the x-rays identified a non-displaced half-moon-shaped fracture at the bottom of the cannon bone in the right front fetlock. This is likely, they say, that it probably occurred in that race. Now, to my untrained eye, to somebody, I guess the, the, the cannon bone would be, let's just say you're using your arm. It would be between your, your, your elbow and your wrist. And no, as, we get, correct. As, as we get to uh, the, the, the fetlock, we're getting now more 
down closer towards perhaps uh, you, the bottom of the of that, and maybe I would say maybe where like the top of your wrist would be. Am I in the ballpark? No, not in the ballpark, John. Actually, your wrist is more comparable to the knee of a horse or the carpus of a horse. Um, the, your elbow down to the wrist would be the same as the radius or the elbow of the horse going down. Uh, what it would be comparable to is if you take your big knuckle and the, the long bone that runs to your knuckle from your wrist and then the other bone that, from the wrist, which would be called the first phalanx or first phalangeal bone, um, there would be a chip at the top of, of of that, or actually the bottom right before you get to the wrist. I know I didn't explain that well, did I? <laughs> well, what does it mean to us in, 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 in horse terms as far as the ability of a seven-year-old horse to come back from an injury like this? Oh, I think, it is. I think he has a good chance to come back from this injury. Um, these kind of injuries, in my experience, are what are known as hyperextension uh, injuries, where we've all seen a picture in the blood horse of the horse who, as the foot is entering the surface of the ground or entering the track, where it looks like the foot in the pastern is at a right angle to the cannon bone. Right. And what happens is that uh, pastern bone comes up and bangs the bottom of the cannon bone. And just like if you were to take a hammer and lightly tap a concrete block or a brick, then you'd get a small crack there. And basically, that's what happens. Now, when, when, when they say half-moon-shaped, is that a good thing? Uh, a non-displaced half-moon-shaped fracture? You, you know, the key word there and the promising word there is non-displaced. Because that fact alone, if it was displaced, healing would take a lot more time and would heal with a lot more arthritis. You get a lot of calcification at the bottom of there, and it would uh, decrease range of motion in the joint and um, could create further problems down the line. The fact that it's non-displaced means that it ought to heal pretty quickly on him. And, you know, it, it came at the worst of times, and it came oh. at the best of times. It came at the worst because we're not going to get to see him perform in the Breeders' Cup, but knowing Lepresti, as soon as, as soon as that race was over, he's going to be kicked out of his farm anyhow for a couple of months. That's correct. That's correct. So. Yeah, you know, Charlie is a wonderful caretaker. He and his wife, Amy, have uh, done a wonderful job at the farm. They've broken horses for the Kleins, the Lewises. Um, their client list is just stellar, and they've sent them to other trainers across the world, actually. And so they, they really do a good job on rehabbing a horse, and I think he'll get the best of care. And I really think if he doesn't face any other problems, that we'll see him next year. Yeah, I think that's great because he'll have those months off. Uh, I know, I believe uh, that Chuck Lepresti has a farm near or just outside of Lexington. I'm, I'm guessing the horse will probably spend the time there rather than go to a warm weather climate. Uh, that's what I would suspect, that they want to keep him close to them. Um, he, you know, he did such a great job at bringing this horse from all the training that it missed uh, after its episode of colic. And when when that horse came back at Saratoga and, and and put that run in, and then when he came back in the Shadwell Turf Mile, I tell you what, if, if you would have given me 10 bucks to bet him at the quarter pole, I would have bet it on another horse. And this horse can just dig down, has so much heart. Um, you know, the Presti's got to be an outstanding horseman to be able to do that on, on the timeline that he was done, knowing he was pointing towards the Breeders' Cup. Right, right. I mean, he's been a wonderful, you know, 
he really is a good caretaker. My first experience with Charlie was way back in 95, taking care of the horses when he was a, uh, a farm manager, a farm trainer at Calumet Farm when Mr. Dviakowski owned the farm. Um, you know, my first experience with Wise Dan was when he got beat at Turfway in his maiden special weight first time out in February of 2010. And then he came back in one three weeks later by 15 and a half length and went one ten and three. <laughs> that, you know, and he went down and he won the Phoenix that fall in 2010. They actually ran him in the Breeders' Cup Sprint that year. And uh, what's amazing is that Charlie identified him as a good turf horse and a great miler and has been with us ever since. Well, um, so much on Wise Dan, I wanted to, to ask your, your impression because I know that you're in an area of the country where um, you treat horses that race both on dirt and poly track. And as we know, uh, Keelan made a major move in pulling up their poly track and putting down, if you can call dirt, state-of-the-art dirt in the way that they've done it and, and how they've maintained it. Um, just trying to get your read as a vet on the surfaces. It seems to me that a, a track such as Woodbine or Turfway, because of the weather conditions they run in, that poly track's probably the logical surface for them. But do you see an advantage of racing on dirt, and I'm wondering if Keeneland took that gamble, A, for the health of the horse, and B, to land the Breeders' Cup? Well, yeah, it's hard to say. The jury's still out on any track surface. I think we found out some things this summer on many different racetracks that really the person taking care of the track is, is more important than the surface itself. And so, you know, Keeneland's decision, uh, I mean, we could Monday morning quarterback it, but I was down there yesterday. I talked to several trainers, several exercise riders, specifically inquiring about their dirt surface, and everybody was very pleased with it. Now, uh, from a training standpoint, they did keep their training track a poly track surface, so trainers would have that option. Yeah, you know, and I think that's great because because what I've heard from different people uh is that Polly's great to train on, but when it's time to really put the pedal to the metal, uh, that there's seems to be more of a chance of certain, I'll just say, hind-end injuries or something like that, and that they really feel like historically right. they'd rather be racing on a dirt ter- surface when, when right. it comes race day. Well, there's no the thing with the, the Polly track is there's very limited slide phase to stride, so when the foot hits heel first and then slides, it allows the force to dissipate up the leg to the shoulders or in the, um, an example of the hind end to their, their, their butt, so to speak. And um, without polytrack, those forces aren't allowed the time to dissipate up the leg, and they usually stop at the hock or the knee. So we see a little bit more, I won't say chip fractures. It's more forgiving from that standpoint, but you see a lot more soft tissue injuries on it. Now, what have you been saying, okay? We say 20 years. I know you're cheating on that. You've been watching this game more than that. Um, <laughs> what have you seen over, and we've only got about two minutes left, but you know, what have you seen in the, in the evolution over the last two decades of the horses? Are are we creating a softer breed? Are we treating them like hothouse roses by only giving them, you know, five races a year? Uh, or is there something that we've done on the breeding end that is sending all these horses off to the breeding shed so quick? Well, I'm going to make a lot of people mad by this statement, but 
we have very few large operations that breed to race right now. And when people breed to race, they breed a different type of racehorse than they do when they breed to sell. And when people who aren't going to train them or own them are the ones selecting them in sales, then it leads to a more refinement of the breed. We buy very pretty, very large, very fine bone horses. And we're kind of going to the breed what uh, the dog show industry did to the German Shepherd. If you look at German Shepherds in the 50s, and compared to today, they're two different animals. And it's the same thing with the breed. You look at the pictures of Grouse Stark and Roberto and the great foundation horses uh, through the years. You know, it's a completely different breed than what we have right now. Oh, I don't think you're making anybody mad. I think that's great insight, John. You know, and they're blaming, like I said, they blame some of the on medication or the veterinarians, uh, the mechanic, so to speak, those Fords building a bad car. You blame the mechanic, but... Really, till we get back to the site where we have the the large breeders breeding the race instead of sell, then I think we'll get back to a stronger, more durable horse. Well, I I, I do hope that that's the case, and I I do hope that we see a, a stronger and durable a wise Dan back at the races next year. We've been talking with Dr. John Piewitz. Uh, John, I appreciate you for, for your great insights, and I appreciate for, really for all the dedication uh, that uh, I, I've seen you do over the years because you're not a guy that goes to Florida during the warm weather. I've seen you work in 100-degree heat in the summer and 10 below in the winter. You do an outstanding job. Well, thank you, John. All right, we've been talking with Dr. John Piawit. Gave us some good insights. Hope it wasn't over anybody's head. Part of it was over mine, but I do like his insights into what's been happening in the breed till we get back to breeding the race. And uh, we're going to get horses that were bred to race because we're going to be talking about some state-bred programs uh, that are coming up, what happened last week and what's coming up this week uh, with my friend Eric Wing from the Daily Racing Forum. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neill. He's at the 
shot. Got it with 2.8 seconds left. The left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with a guy who is a winner, and that is Eric Wing. Right now he's working with the Daily Racing Forum. He's headed up the communication departments at the New York Racing Association and with the NTRA. Uh, he's He's been there, done that. Uh, he's a graduate of a very uh, small, unknown school by the name of Dartmouth, I believe. And... Uh, and I had the pleasure of being with him last weekend because he came in as a part of the whole support unit uh, from the forum to, to help the little old track by the name of Belterra Park in, in Cincinnati out with uh, with getting their message out there. And, Eric, I think that you did a great job because from checking the stats, uh, Belterra Park had their best day on track and off track of the whole year. Well, that's great, John, and, and it's great being with you again. We had so much fun on Saturday, and, um, I, you know, as much credit as I'd love to have daily racing form take for the on-track crowd, I think that's really the Belterra Park staff. First of all, they did such a marvelous job erecting that new facility or, or refurbishing it, I guess you would say. It's 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 the best example of, of gaming and racing married together for everybody's benefit instead of uh, the typical racino where where uh, it, it seems to be a battle to hide the, the horse races from the <laughs> gaming customers there's such a synergy at Belterra and whether you like gaming or racing or both um, it's just it's just a great facility and, and I think it's the best of all worlds there and the staff uh, yourself included, did such a, a great job on Saturday. But, um, yeah, we, we, you know, we try to – people get the racing form and they see we put pick fours in the front of the paper and have dedicated online pages. We we really believe in putting the data in the hands of the customers, and that's what we tried to do with Best of Ohio Day last Saturday. We're doing it this weekend with um, – uh, the West Virginia Breeders Classics, and also with Kipco Champions Day, British Champions Day in Europe, we're trying to help penetrate, help that event penetrate into the United States. Um, so you can look for that in in the Saturday racing form. It's it's just about putting the spotlight on some of these events, some big, some small, but all very important. Well, how early do I have to get up if I've got all this information from Kipco? Well, I think the first race is about, don't quote me, but I think it's about 8.20 Eastern. So you, you, you'll have to set the alarm a couple hours earlier than normal for you, John. Yeah, you um, know that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we really did. We had, we had a great day. Uh, in the first segment, I, I gave the results out. Um, obviously, we did bring the best of the best together, uh, set two track records, uh, rivers run deep, uh, missed the six furlong mark by a fifth of a second, and this was all on a muddy track, albeit 
these are new race records that are coming up this year because we did move the track and and set a new service. But it it was fun seeing it was fun seeing the best of the best compete. But you came up with this horse, plain old Willard, uh, owned and bred by a friend of mine, Ron McKay. But plain old Willard, you know. Had just had his first win of the season, his last race. He was last year's three-year-old champ, but you know there was seemed to be a much more of a deeper talent pool in there. But you were able uh, to to wisely say that Noel Vigil has figured this horse out, and and he's he he seemed to start moving with him a little bit earlier uh, to get the job done. And seer that you are at the half-mile pole, this horse was fourteenth. <laughs> Well, you know, I was embarrassed to say it in front of everybody, John, but the the, the horse and the race re- reminded me scenario-wise of Mind That Bird, who had um, had kind of middle-moved and flattened out in his prep races in New Mexico, and then when he was finally taken all the way back and just to make one late run, that was the kind of the just what the doctor ordered, and and I think it was that case with plain old Willard. He had, he had prematurely moved in almost every one of his races except his most recent race when he just got taken back to last. That was by far his best race, and it didn't hurt that, you know, it was a mile and a quarter, same as the Kentucky Derby, and there was a lot of speed in the race. And um, when they went out at 46 and 111, I thought the horse was going to be you know, certainly have an opportunity to do what I thought he might, and it, it's it's nice when the, the long shots come in, that's for sure. Well, you know, uh, from a personal viewpoint, I look at this two ways. Number one, I was glad to have you on and for you to, to, to give that horse out to our public. At the time, it was 40 to 1. On the other hand, from a personal aspect, I know you bet him. Obviously, the people believe in you because that horse went from 40 to 1 to 16 to 1 after Eric Wing had spoken. <laughs> it's funny. You never know with these things, Johnny. It was 20 to 1 in the morning line, and some 20 to 1 shots open up at 40 to 1 and go up, and some come down. So I didn't know maybe just the, you know, the, maybe the money hadn't come in yet. Um, but he did. I, look, if, if people bet on him because I talked about him on the loudspeaker there, that's, there's, there's really Loud no speaker, better feeling you were going as across a, the country. As a you didn't have a, you know, you didn't have a horn that maybe you put help put a few bucks in people's pockets. I mean, if that's not the goal, then you shouldn't be up there talking about the race. So, um, gosh, I sure hope that people might have bet a couple of bucks on them and will want to come uh, all the more back out to Belterra in the future. Well, I hope so too. Well, meanwhile, while I got you on and we're talking about your prowess last week, let's hope you didn't leave it all in, in <laughs> Cincinnati. It is Maryland Millions Day, but these aren't all restricted races. Um, some of them invite, uh, you know, some Virginia breads to sneak in there, New Jersey breads. And uh, the first one is the Maryland Million Ladies. Uh, this is a mile and an eighth on the turf, not a distance or a, a grass race they're going to see all the time. And I had a real hard time. Uh, separating these horses, so I just trying to look for, you know, who were the horses for course or who excelled there, and you know, uh, Tony Dutro is a pretty sharp guy, and when he ships into some of these other tracks, uh, I've always uh, kind of keep an eye on him. This uh, devilish love looks awful dangerous, and then talking about some of the hometown hopes, I, I don't, you know, a mile and an eighth. Monster Sleeping's been sprinting, but I see that Monster Sleeping has put in a monster race the only time it raced 
on the turf at a mile and an eighth. There's some other pretty good angles in here um, with, uh, with with Jerry Love, a horse that had a long layoff and had a huge wake-up call last time. And uh, I'm just trying to get your read on this race because I'm all over the place. Well, you, you mentioned two of the best ones for sure, John. Uh, Devilish Love, by the way, in case people are wondering how these Pennsylvania and Virginia bred sneak in, you have to be by a Maryland-based stallion. You don't have to be a Maryland bred, but you have to be by a Maryland stallion. That's why a horse like Devilish Love gets in, because he's by Not For Love, who stands in Maryland. Uh, so that's how it works there. Devilish Love is probably the best horse in the race. The question will be distance. He, he's never been a mile and an eighth. He does sometimes get a little tired late in the race, at least he did last time, although that was in an open grade three stakes at Belmont. But Tony Dutrow, he's probably got the most talented horse. We'll see if a mile and an eighth suits him. Um, Monster Sleeping, the, the race you say when he did run a mile and an eighth on turf and win and won, it was in this race last year, the Maryland Millions Ladies, and, he, and much like is the case this year, Last year he came into that race off a six furlong turf sprint, the, the Jamila. Um, so he's certainly a candidate. Um, they're trying to repeat history, obviously, there. The other horse I find interesting is uh, the horse on the rail, very few details, who's trained by Dane Kabiski, a former jockey. And he claimed this horse for 25000 in in November. He's only run twice since, so the horse has some fitness issues. But that race at Tampa in January... He really premature moved, not to, not to beat that horse again, but uh, he prematurely moved in a one other than at Tampa, and then he was laid off for eight months and came back and had, look at that running line, John, in that turf sprint he came back in. He, he, he breaks from post two, gets left, he's 14 uh, early, shoots right up to fifth, drops back to seventh, losing five lengths in the process, and then comes back to win. So he's got a lot of talent. He's also a question mark at a mile and an eighth, but I like his 15-to-1 morning line odds better than I like most of the others. Well, I, I will take that uh, detail you just gave me into account because it does make sense. And uh looks like uh, Mr. Navarro is uh, going to be back in the saddle that day. Let's address uh, another one of the Maryland Million races, and it's the Maryland Million Classic. And I do believe in this case all the horses are actual uh, Maryland breds. Uh, it brings together um, a horse who very, very interesting. Uh, certainly uh, you want to talk about a horse for course, uh, eight too fast to catch. I don't know. He might be a little long in the tooth. He's eight years old now. But uh, 26 starts at Laurel, 13 victories. The question is, he's only run once this year, but he won it last year when he came back with only one race after a layoff as a heavy, heavy favorite. But he really kind of faltered in his last race. Do you think uh, maybe his better days behind him? Do you think that was just a tightener for this race? Uh, very tough read, John. You, you're hitting the salient point with this horse. Um, the problem I have is last year, look, I think it's a good thing in general if you lighten up on the schedule so that the, the, the Maryland Million isn't the, the last of eight or nine races. However, this horse, after last year was over, took all the way till September to come back. And why run this horse on the turf? I mean, 
maybe it was just a tightener. Sometimes trainers will run a horse on grass because they think it's more forgiving, which can suggest fitness or foot tenderness issues. There's just enough red flags on this horse, kind of the way you indicated, John, that I'm willing to look elsewhere because with those big buyers, he's going to be bet. And if you and I both have paws, then I'm willing to look elsewhere. Well, I'd like to know where you're going to look because uh, you've got horses uh, coming out of claiming races. The guys are taking a gamble on. You've got another Dane Kubiski uh, horse in here uh, from there that's been riding bug boys and uh, uh, concealed identity. This uh, Linda Gaudet is on fire down there at uh, batting 40%. John Service coming in from Parks looks dangerous, but I don't see any world beaters on, under this horse that has a big question mark on top of it. And that, exactly. I mean, if, if 8 Too Fast to Catch runs his A race, he wins. If he doesn't, then like you say, there are about five or six that you could give a legitimate chance to. The second choice in the morning line is 1706, the John Service trainee. He comes out of a race at Parks going a mile and 70 yards, as does Turban, the five horse. Uh, they have comparable buyer speed figures, but in my speed figures, I've got Turban as significantly faster than 1706. So given uh, the, my faster numbers and the fact that Turban will probably be a higher price, I like Turban. Um, as probably my top pick in the race, uh, first off the claim for the very capable Keith Nations. He ran very well at parks and had uh, a bit of, quite a bit of trouble in that race. So if somebody's going to unseat eight too fast to catch or if he runs a bad race, I think it might be Turban who reaps the, uh, the spoils. The other horse I'll mention just quickly, John, is Connemara Coast, the two-horse, 15-to-1 on the morning line. He's got back races that certainly put him in the thick of this. He's a little bit suspected a mile and an eighth. That uh, is a sixteenth of a mile longer than he's ever been. But I will point out he was entered today in a race in which he was seven to five morning line and scratched to await this spot. And when a trainer opts for the harder of the two spots, I've always found that usually means his horse is doing really, really well and he's willing to roll the dice. That's the case with Connemara Coast on Saturday. I love it. I love it. We're talking with uh, Eric Wing from the Daily Racing Forum. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go to the West Virginia Breeders' Cup Classic, the richest state-bred race in North America, and then we're going to just sneak down the road, do a little old grade two race at Keeneland called the Raven Run. You're listening to Winning Ponies. School to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, uh, back here with Eric Wing from the Daily Racing Forum. And again, we're talking about uh, state-bred programs. There's going to be a big one at Charlestown this week uh, from West Virginia, all kinds of stakes races. And again, as I stated before the break, a half a million dollars on the line for the West Virginia Breeders Classic. And uh, in here, it appears that everybody's going to try to knock the, the hat off the head of one big horse, and that's Lucy's Bob Boy. I believe the horse uh, uh, has won this race in the past. He's won uh, $735,000 while he's a West Virginia bred. Uh, He is out of a Maryland's Not for Love uh, by uh, uh, Kentucky's Flatter, but he he was foaled in West Virginia. And this horse, you don't see it a whole lot, morning line odds of three to five, but he's had a sensational uh, three-race scheme coming in here. Just dominates the state breads. But there's a horse in here that has beat him before that kind of nips at his heels a little bit. And that, that horse's name is Russell Road, a horse that uh, hasn't been afraid to travel a little bit. And he's won $1.6 million. Again, he's an eight-year-old gelding. Lucy's Bob Boy's a, a five-year-old gelding. And I believe there's uh, one other horse in here that's uh, probably going to be uh, uh, worth worth mentioning, and I'm sc- scrolling as we speak, um, uh, Fred High. So, uh, Eric, give me a read on this. Are, are, do we do we key Lucy's boy, Bob boy, on top and put those other I mentioned underneath? I think you have to key Lucy's Bob boy, John. I mean, yeah, Russell Road has beaten them in the past, but they've faced each other each of their last three races. Lucy's Bob boy beat them all three times by margins of seven and a quarter, three and three and a half lengths, respectively. Lucy's Bob Boy's last three buyers were 91, 95, 92. Um, no one else has run higher than a 79 in his last start. So I'm not going to be try to be so um, contrarian as to try to beat Lucy's Bob Boy here. I do think Russell Road may have um, seen better days or may not be as, as fast now as he was earlier in his career. 
I would like to point out uh, for hunch players that there is a horse uh, named Captain Clink in the race and also a horse named Clink, Clink, Clink. So uh, <laughs> perhaps those two could be coupled in some uh, way, shape, or form. But I actually like Captain Clink a little bit underneath. And this is, this is pretty mindless stuff, John, but um, trainer Jim Casey has three in the race. He has Strawberry Cupcake, Captain Clink, and um, uh, Russell Road. And Lopez has ridden Strawberry Cupcake every one of his starts, but he's sticking with Captain Clink, even though Captain Clink looks like he might be the slightly inferior one of the two. I'm going to make a small cold exacto with Lucy's Bob Boy and Captain Clink to see... um, There might be more than meets the eye as why Lopez picked that one over Strawberry Cupcake. Maybe he might just be doing better coming into the race. Very interesting. Uh, Normally I uh, handicap without odds, but I must have pulled this one down late. And Captain Clink, we're looking at 12 to 1. And again, uh, that race is going to be part of the the big program at, at Charlestown, and it's the West Virginia Breeders Classic. Well, we got four minutes left. Let's go down the road to a race at Keeneland Racecourse. Again, we're racing on the dirt now at, uh, at, at Keeneland. It was a very sloppy there today. Uh, the prediction is that it, the rains has stopped, and it's going to be a pretty nice weekend. So hopefully we'll be running on a, on a fast track. Uh, the, the Lexus Raven run is a grade two, quarter million up for grabs, Seven furlongs, uh, which is kind of a kind of a niche distance, um, and I'm looking here at a five to one shot that I'm liking, uh, trained by Mike Maker, and that's Thank You Mary Lou. Uh, I, they threw blinkers on this horse last time at Churchill Downs, uh, and the horse got a huge wake up call. I remember it ran in the Iowa Oaks as the second favorite on a nice on a night where it was an absolute quagmire. I think he put a line through that. It was only beaten two and a half lengths by the other horse, who's probably the biggest threat in here, and that's misbehavior. Uh, so. I'm going to throw that out along with the, it seems, uh, two ever-improving horses, Pirates Trove and La Madrina. With about three minutes left, Eric, give me a read. Uh, I like all of your horses to one degree or another. Um, I, I like Thank You Mary Lou, probably the best of those three. She also ran pretty well in the Kentucky Oaks back in May. Um, but those blinkers did seem to wake her up last time. Uh, Misbehavior is a good, a very good horse who just uh, blew away the field in the Charlestown Oaks and had run against Thank You Mary Lou in the test, um, running a good second. I'm going to take a small shot, though, here, John, with Sweet Whiskey, the 12 horse, who also ran against uh, Misbehavior and Thank You Mary Lou in the test, um, beaten uh, only a length and a half for all of it. The reason why I like this horse, though, John, is last time out in the prior S, she has what's a very ugly-looking line, 7th, 7th, 8th, 6th, behind Stonetastic and Misbehavior. But I'm here to tell you that that was a very speed-biased racetrack at Saratoga that day. Stonetastic um, won wire-to-wire, as did most of the other horses on that card. I'm completely willing to overlook that uh, sixth-place finish in 81 buyer. If you look Beneath that, um, she's got a 90 and a 92, both earned in grade one races. 
I think that 92 or 90 would serve her well in this field. And uh, at 8 to 1 odds, I'm all about sweet whiskey. All right. Well, I'm all about sweet whiskey, but that's usually when I'm out on the town. But, uh, you know, again, we've got a really powerhouse, full field, going into the Lexus uh, Raven run. Um, they brought together a, a great group, and so we should get some pretty darn good odds in here for sure. Well, Eric Wing, I want to thank you so much for being on with us. I had to bring you back on after I saw the impact you had on a, a state-bred program last week, and I, I, I wish you and all the DRFers nothing but the best. Oh, same to you and your listeners, John. That uh, I love being on this show, and here's hoping we might have stumbled upon uh, a winner or two uh, in the course of this last 20 minutes or so. I'm, I'm sure we have. Well, we've been talking with Eric Wing. I want to thank uh, Dr. John Pewitz, and we want to remind everybody that the Easy Win Fig Forms have been knocking them out of the park on winning ponies uh, at Belmont on Monday, $973 super. Uh, we had a 905 uh, cold, a 50-cent try at Evangeline Downs. At Indiana Grand, $783 super. Santa Anita, dollar super for $745. So get those easy win fig forms from our friends at Winning Ponies. want to thank everybody. Remember, when you come to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.